You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We are in the midst of a series of sermons on um, that we're calling Christianity Uncomplicated. And in it, we are looking at the Apostles' Creed slowly, kind of phrase by phrase. It, the Apostles' Creed is one of the, one of the old ecumenical creeds that the early church developed to clarify what it is that Christians think are essential beliefs and also to clarify that against some of the heresies that were common in the day. Um, but Christians have said this and believed this, Christians of all shapes and sizes, Roman Catholics, Protestants, all these centuries uh, later, we still believe these are the essentials for Orthodox Christianity. Um, So let's say it together before I begin my message. Um, Would you stand and say it, actually? Uh, This is not the Apostles' Creed. (laughs) We'll get to that in a moment, but here we are. (laughs) I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now you can be seated. C.S. Lewis told about an encounter that he had with a a man who um, really didn't like that we had creeds. He said, you know, I've had this incredible living experience with the living God, and the creeds kind of reduce it, make it kind of petty, almost um, unreal. And Lewis said, well, I understand why you think that, actually. But he said, it's more like a map of the Atlantic Ocean. The map is drawn because of thousands and thousands of people who've actually sailed the real Atlantic Ocean. And then it can guide those who come after. The Apostles' Creed is saying, concisely what millions of people experienced with the living God and and tried to put into words as, as accurately as they could what we believe about the one God who is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet there's tremendous mystery in all of this. 
By saying these words, we're not trying to put God in a box. A.W. Tozer warned us, we don't ever want to end up with a God who can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, never astonish us, never transcend us. No, not at all. But today we're going to move from what Clint talked about last week, what we believe, Christians believe about God the Father, and we're going to turn to what we believe about the second person of the Trinity, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit or born and born of the Virgin Mary. We understand these beliefs to be true about God, and yet we, we must acknowledge that it's a great mystery. And it's a mystery, actually, that we're invited to come further and further into and deeper and deeper into with each and every passing year. I'm going to read to you a very familiar scripture about the birth of Christ as Luke tells it in the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. This is an amazing word, God. And we've heard it every single year at Christmas time. We know the story. But would you make this word fresh to us today? Would you be with the words of my mouth that I would be faithful? And would your word not return to you void, but establish the purpose for which you sent it? Pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. The angel says to Mary, you'll name him Jesus. We believe in Jesus Christ. The word, or the name Jesus means God saves. And the rest of the gospel proves that this is actually what Jesus does. He dies on the cross in order to save us from our sins. 
and God raises him from the dead, and he makes this amazing, wondrous new relationship possible for us to have, those of us who can say, I believe, with God. Christ is not his last name. Technically, we should say, I believe in Jesus the Christ. Christ is a title. When we say that we believe this, what we're saying is that we believe that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah of the Jewish people. We believe that, uh, that he was the one that our Jewish ancestors anticipated would come and um, restore to Israel the glorious age that, that, that it had under King David. I believe in Jesus Christ. When we say that, we're saying, I believe in, in a real person, a historical person, who lived at a specific place in a specific time. And he, he went around healing people who were sick and people who, were, um, who had demons going activity within them and, and, and the lame and the blind and went around teaching about the kingdom of God. He was the one that the disciples witnessed and actually uh, they were overwhelmed by him. Helmut Tibica calls, there's the testimony of the overwhelmed. They report what their dazzled eyes saw and their ringing ears heard. They confessed that their hearts were overwhelmed by a figure whose words could fell a man to the ground. For what they heard was unheard of and what they had to tell was unspeakable. How could one write an objective account of how men were freed from burdens of conscience or how the multitude in the, in the wilderness was mysteriously satisfied because he was with them? Or how the powers of guilt, grief, and death had to retreat like a beaten army when he arrived on the scene. How could this be scribbled into a biographical record to compete with commas and periods? Didn't the, the pen begin to run away with the hand that was supposed to guide it? The reports that we have about Jesus are testimonies of the faith of people who were overwhelmed by him. All who met him were drawn into the charmed circle in which they had to show their colors, the disciples, and the women at the cross, and even the centurion of Golgotha who stammered out, truly this man was the son of God. Not to mention the executioners, the higher clergy, Pontius Pilate. Only one thing was impossible, says Tilke, to remain neutral and uninvolved. We can only say yes or no. The only possible reactions are either the confession of a Thomas, my Lord and my God, or the equally vehement resistance of an Archimedes, go away from me and do not disturb my circus. They saw him do things that they would not have believed if they hadn't seen it and heard it themselves. And yet I stand before you today as a witness that can also say, I have seen it, and I have heard it myself. I believe in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me again 
and again and again in my life. And he has relieved me of the guilt and the shame that have plagued me. He has literally saved my life on more than one occasion. But the first time he did it, well, that's when I said, you are my Lord and my God. I was, my legs were caught in the propellers of an outboard motorboat and broken multiple times between the legs, the knee and the ankle. I am here because he saved my life. He is my Lord, my Savior, my God. He has, he has shown me grace upon grace upon grace. As this morning, just before I walked in here, I got a video of my three sons telling me how much I mean to them. Grace upon grace upon grace. I can explain some of it in words, but I can never explain the whole thing because there's mystery involved in this. And it's a mystery that you and I are invited into to, to go deeper and deeper and deeper into it every day of our lives. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son. Others in the scriptures were, are, were called sons or children of God, but the, the article the is used of only one, and that's Jesus. The angel says to Mary, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's nobody. Wherever he went, people were constantly questioning his identity. After he made a mess in the temple, the, the clergy said to him, by whose authority do you do this? After watching him heal a blind and mute man, they said, it's by the devil that he casts out demons. In other words, he must be from the devil. He's in league with the devil. The crowds wonder if he's John the Baptist come back to life. Others try to ex explain away his extraordinary presence by saying, you mean Joseph's son? I mean, isn't his mother Mary? Don't they live down the street next to Sadie and Abe? We know him, right? The men, his disciples almost died in a, in a, a boating storm. And they watched him with a word calm that storm. And they said, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the wave obey him? Wherever he goes, the question of his identity doesn't go away. There's never been anybody like him. Demons were terrified of him. He died for us and God raised him from the dead. And one day, the Apostle Paul tells us, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, is to, 
is to say, I believe Jesus is God. He was there in the beginning. John tells us, through him, all things were created. The Apostle Paul says that he holds everything together. He's the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. I'm going to come back to our Lord. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The angel comes, tells Mary she's going to have a child. She gives the only logical response, which is, how in the world can this be? I'm a virgin. You know, one day, these children that were baptized this morning are going to come to their parents, and they're going to say to their parents, where do babies come from? A woman was asked that question by her, her little girl, and she wasn't prepared for it, and she just said, uh, they come from Amazon. <laughs> you know, hopefully, hopefully, when your children ask you that question, you will be prepared with a, a better age-appropriate answer than Amazon. We all know how babies come. We all know where they come from. We understand her confusion, and yet... I believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It's a mystery. But if, if we believe in a God who can create the world from nothing, if we believe in a God that could raise Jesus from the dead, We can believe in a virgin birth. The miracle of the virgin birth actually rests upon the mystery of what theologians call the incarnation, that God became human. In Paul's words in Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human form. I submit to you that next to what God was doing in becoming a human being, the question of how a virgin could give birth is hardly worth asking. The real issue is that God did this great miracle, that he became one of us. We believe that, that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. As, 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 a, as being fully human, he, he gets us. He, God is not distant. He understands us. He's lived it. He's experienced it. He gets us. And he's fully divine, born of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. If he is not both fully human and fully divine, then our salvation is impossible. If he's fully human, which we believe, and that's a historical fact, we know he lived, 
he can't save us because he also needs saving. He's part of the problem if he's not divine. If he's fully divine but not fully human, then he isn't near to us and connected to us in the way that God chose to be. He's both. It's a mystery. The angel says to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. And friends, those of us who say, I believe in this God, we believe in a God with whom nothing is impossible. We live in a broken world, and it is so understandable why people are cynical and discouraged and depressed and in many instances hopeless. But we know a God for whom nothing is impossible. And so we are hope bearers in this broken world. We must be hope bearers. How will God act? When will God act? What exactly is God's plan? We don't know. The, the prophet Isaiah wrote of God, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we say amen to that. That's right. Those of us who believe, I mean, who would ever have thought that God would become one of us by being in the womb of a virgin? And if we believe that, then surely we can expect that there's going to be some, some surprises along the way in our own journey with him. We had a parishioner, 33 years old, was in a terrible motorcycle accident, was in a coma for days and days and days. The prognosis was, if he lived, he'd be a vegetable for the rest of his life. We gathered, the church gathered, we prayed. We laid hands on his wife and the, the three young children. We begged God for a miracle. We found out later that as we were praying in the chapel at the church, in the hospital, he was pulling out the tubes that were in his body. There was no brain damage. It was a miracle. At that same church, while I was pastor there, my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Two weeks after he was diagnosed, my siblings and my mother and I surrounded his bed while he died. But here's what I can tell you. God was very really present in both of those acts. There was grace in that room. There was grace in the way my dad died. There was grace as we grieved his loss. I can tell you the best I can, but I, 
there's, there's mystery in it. <laughs> but just because there's mystery doesn't mean it's, it's, re it's not real. I honestly think that some of the most profound ways that we grow deeper into this mystery is when God doesn't answer our prayers the way he, we had hoped that he would. God, in the beginning, gave the world the freedom to choose, and ever since Adam and Eve, there have been brokenness in this world because we choose to rebel against God. And there's evil in this world, and it's very real, and we can see it. And there will be until Christ comes again and judges all the evildoers and fully establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And yet... God finds these grace-filled, mysterious ways to, in which to work with us and through us in the midst of the brokenness of this world. We, we grow deeper. We grow closer. We become more and more like him as we, as we learn to trust that he is who he says he is, even when we don't understand where he is or what he's doing. Mary's last words in this scripture are, here I am. I'm a servant of the Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. The Old Testament, the word Lord is used only of God. And when the, in the New Testament, when they started calling Jesus Lord, it was scandalous to our Jewish ancestors, especially the leadership. Because we were saying he's equal to God. He's the same as God. As is the Holy Spirit, which we'll learn more about as this uh, sermon series continues. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice we don't say I believe, I believe in the Lord, but he's our <laughs> Lord. He's, he's our Lord corporately. He is the Lord of the church, the big C church, and he's our Lord personally and individually. When we call him Lord, what we're saying is, you get to set the standards, God, and I will live by those. You say this is good and that's not, I say okay. You say, go here and not there. I say, okay, you are Lord. Everybody serves some Lord. We, we sometimes get caught up in serving materialism or consumerism or whatever it is that gives us comfort and pleasure. Everybody serves some Lord. Maybe some of you in here are, uh, are, are like many that I've known through the years. All you need to do is just be a good person. The problem with being a good person is who sets the standards and what happens when you fail? Who sets the standard? What happens when you fail? Often it's, uh, they, these are good-hearted people and they, they're doing their very best to, to do what, is, what they believe is morally right. And, and, and it's comparative, right? It's, wow, she's a better person than I am. I, I, I want to be like her or... Boy, so glad I'm not like that guy. 
Um, and then uh, that can be such a harsh taskmaster, right? Because when you fail to be that good person, what do you do with the shame and the guilt? Where does it go? Or it can be a very permissive way to live. If it feels good, fine. I'll just that's what I'll do. And and this is what that that leads to is just the, a very self-centered, selfish society. I was uh, I was in Colorado last weekend, um, at a, actually last Sunday, at the funeral of a man who was like a father to me. And um, it was a Jewish he, he was Jewish. His family's Jewish. It was a Jewish funeral, and we're there, and um, the we finish at the temple, and then we go to the graveside, and things happen at the graveside. And afterwards, the four or five of us are talking with the, the rabbi, who was wonderful, by the way. And we're talking with him afterwards, and he's saying, oh, just so great to be able to do a, a service for somebody that was such a good man and had done so much good for the community and impacted, you know, there was just so much, so much good that I could say about him. He said, you know, it's not always that way. And then he proceeded to tell us a true story about when he was a rabbi in California and the family called him, didn't know the guy, guy died, would you do the funeral? He said yes. And then he's trying to gather information about this guy from family and friends. And try as he might, he can't, nobody's telling him anything good that he feels like he can use in service. Service starts, he, he says a few things, and there's a woman in the front row, shoots up her hand, and she says, ah, oh, come on. Everybody here knows he was a son of a, b a bee. <laughs> that, that, the rabbi said, was his ex-wife. Woman next to her shoots up her hand, and she says, that's right, she's right. He was a son of a bee. That was his current wife. <laughs> I laughed after that because I thought, I wonder who set the standard for him meeting the qualifications of being a son of a bee. And what does a person have to do to, to earn that rating or not that rating? There's a better Lord than you or any, a better Lord than any other thing. And it's our Lord who is so good who not only sets the standards, but he also is our savior. <laughs> and he forgives us when we fail. And, and his standard is summed up in, in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a good way to live. And that's a good Lord to serve. Some of you are you're probably checking out Christianity. You're not sure if you're going to say yes or no. You're, you, you just haven't decided yet. And our prayer is that you will say yes sooner than later. Other you, others of you who are here might be like me, and you memorized the words to the Apostles' Creed when you were a kid, and you have known them all these years, and you believe them. But just because you believe them does not mean you've arrived. What it means is that you've caught a glimpse, you've grasped a glimpse of the mysterious and wondrous and awesome ways that God has worked and is working still. 
it's a little bit like what C.S. Lewis says at the very end of The Last Battle, where he's imagining a new world that is constantly unfolding. And Aslan, the, the lion in the story, the God figure, says to the children, come further up. Come further up. Come closer. Come deeper. Come further up. There is so much more life when you can say and mean these words. I believe in Jesus Christ. God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Pray with me.